Some bleak, if not unexpected, news out of Germany today. The economy minister there, Robert Habeck, uh, said that Germany's economy would head into recession in 2023 as a result of Russian President Vladimir Putin's economic war on the West, he called it. They, of course, are heavily reliant or have been traditionally on Russian energy, specifically Russian natural gas. Now those taps are being turned off and they are bracing for what could be a tough winter. They say their strategic reserves are about 95% uh, at capacity, but say nevertheless it is limited and they need to be frugal with gas or energy in general to get through the winter. And that is a scenario playing itself out across Europe heading into this winter. The EU imported about 80% of its total gas needs from Russia traditionally. And they're having to cut that back because obviously because of the war, um, there is every possibility those taps will be turned off. Joining me now is Adam Pankratz. He's a lecturer in the Strategy and Business Economics Department at the Souter School of Business at the University of British Columbia. Thank you for your time. Welcome to the show. Pleasure to be here, Ben. Uh, this is, an, I mean, it's starting to get chillier. I think we're all noticing, noticing that even out in BC. Um, in Europe, this winter has taken on some very different dynamics. Uh, but to go back to the beginning, it, it really is a case of you reap what you sow, or in this case, with many European countries, um, what you didn't extract, uh, this reliance on other people to provide them with their energy. Yeah, well, that's certainly the case. I mean, Europe uh, has been heavily reliant on Russian gas, you know, Germany, was uh, reliant on Russia for 55% of its natural gas. Finland, uh, you know, the kind of the extreme, 99% of its gas coming from Russia. Um, so Europe has had heavy, heavy reliance on uh, cheap Rus Russian gas, which has allowed it to pursue other policies and not uh, extract its own uh, natural resources and its own gas, of which it does not have a lot, but which uh, certainly could be uh, more used than they are. And when Russia turns off the taps, the reality is that Europe just doesn't have any other options. And that's why they're in the position that we see right now. I know that uh, gas imports uh, out of into Europe from Russia are down substantially. What kind of impact might that have uh, across the continent this winter? We're already seeing Obviously, the the price spikes, or at least the predictions of these huge price spikes, but it's going to have some pretty broad impact if uh, if things if the gas isn't there. Well, I think it's important to divide the impacts into two categories, and one is the economic, and then the other is the potential human impact. Right. So the the economic impact for uh, many countries, but again, particularly ones like Germany is that there you know potentially could not be enough gas uh for power generation or for for industry right so you you have a a serious economic problem and that certainly is a big problem um but it pales in comparison to the other side of the human impact where you have a situation where it's theoretically possible that there isn't enough gas to heat german homes and you know what happens in the extreme of that? Well, people die, and um, you know that is the seriousness of the situation that European governments are currently grappling with, um, and they're trying to figure out ways to minimize gas consumption. But you know we don't know for sure if uh, if they can make it through the winter. And then I guess it boils down to the things you can control and the things you can't control, right? So storage is something you can control, depending on how much storage room you have. Um, the weather is something you cannot. And, and you've talked about this in the past as well. That's absolutely correct. If Europe has a mild winter, well, 
that's great. If it if it doesn't, uh, if it gets unseasonably cold, even as we go into autumn here, um, there could be uh, real serious problems. And that's, you know, an extraordinarily precarious uh, thing to balance or to, 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 to put your the future of your continent or your country's economic or just general well-being on like i hope i hope it doesn't get too cold uh that's not uh, that's not good policy let's say no uh, they have been storing though i gather that in terms of trying to have as much natural gas on hand as possible uh that has been at least to, up to now relatively successful uh they have uh so tanks right now are at 90% um, of where they ought to be. And normally that's enough to get through the winter. And, you know, small uh, things like reducing the average temperature in buildings from 21 or 22 degrees to 19 degrees can actually save a significant amount of energy. Um, whether people are willing to do that remains to be seen. But that that probably you know, likely, I think we're not going to see the worst case scenario and Europe will get through the winter. But what people are starting just to talk about, but which hasn't really hit the headlines yet, is that this problem is not going away. And the as bad as this winter might be, it's very, very likely that next winter, the problem is really going to be serious because there we can't forget there was gas coming into Russia, uh, sorry, coming in to Europe from Russia most of this year. Uh, that's no longer the case. And so, uh, you know, where is the gas going to come from to fill those storage tanks once it's empty this winter? There really aren't very many answers, uh, good answers to that question. Yeah, it's sort of like the bouncing ball, right? Uh, and we know that um, one of the big issues here is that any solutions that Europe could turn to take time. And as you've pointed out, um, that's not for this winter probably not for next winter, likely not for the winter after that. So in the short term, at least, things look pretty precarious. That's exactly correct, right? Any of the solutions that are proposed, um, you know, are going to are going to take years um, to build a good uh, LNG import terminal to build the pipelines from the United States or from Canada or from wherever else the gas could potentially come from. Um, is going to take, you know, it is in the broad, broad scheme of things, uh, you know, not not decades, it's it's years, but you know, you can't you can't survive with no gas for for two or three years. Um, in the shorter term, you know, what we're probably going to see in Europe is uh, gas to oil switching or gas to coal switching. That's already happened, and depending on the type of um, plant or the type of uh, company that you're running, you know, that can take anywhere from a couple weeks to several months. So there are some short-term solutions, but I mean, they, they're they not great and they don't solve the, the problem uh, long-term and they certainly don't align with the uh, climate goals of the European Union. So, you know, they, they, they need to figure out a way to get more LNG into Europe one way or another. Yeah, what about Germany and its nuclear? Uh, obviously, after Fukushima, uh, their decision to uh, to turn off nuclear essentially is there is there going back from that at all? Well, at the moment, there doesn't seem to be. Um, and Germany has you know sort of equivocated and waffled a bit, and it said it wouldn't extend the nuclear, and now it says it will a little bit longer. Um, 
you know, it certainly seems that nuclear is a very good solution uh, for a country like Europe. And the reason, one of the reasons you're seeing France a little bit, and I emphasize a little bit less exposed, is because they have long had a policy of energy self-sufficiency and have a number of nuclear reactors which um, provide the bulk of their electricity. But um, there seems to be, or there does not rather seem to be an appetite to really push the nuclear at this moment, um, which is unfortunate because I think more and more we're realizing that nuclear, as we transition into a greener future, is probably going to be a decent part of the equation and can be a very productive one. Russia is struggling as well because it's not like they have a whole infrastructure built to uh, to sell this gas to other people either. So just how long could the Russians hold out here? I think if we knew the answer to that question, we could uh, more, much more quickly resolve um, resolve the the terrible situation that's currently ongoing. Um, I think a lot of that depends on the moves by India and China. You know, so far they've been very happy to take. Uh, discounted uh, Russian oil and gas uh, and are very happy to to buy it at at those discounted prices um, and then you know either use it themselves or refine it and send it somewhere else in the world. You know so far Russia seems to be holding out okay and uh, one of the reasons for that is the lack of uh, of other alternative fuels like we discussed in the first segment. Um, with the result that the price of oil and gas is much higher than it was previously. So even at um, heavily discounted or heavily restricted amounts, um, when they do come, Russia is still making as much money as it was in you know the previous decade at lower commodity prices. So you know I, I think there's every reason to believe that Russia can probably keep this going for much longer than uh, than anyone would really ideally like to see. What about Canada and all this? We've talked about it. Uh, clearly, the infrastructure is not there for, for Canada to help much on the LNG front. It's coming. Uh, at least the first pipeline and LNG distribution will be coming. Uh, but what should Canada be doing now, do you think? Is this now time to invest long term in LNG? Or is this too short a window for us to make any real uh, headway on that front? I think we need to look at this in an even bigger picture than you know the already large picture of the, the the Russian war in Ukraine, and say that the energy transition, the green transition, is going to take decades. Right? Can we do anything for Europe in the next year or two? Probably not. Um, but is LNG and our fossil fuels going to be part of the energy equation for a long time to come? Yes, absolutely. And one of the great virtues of LNG is that it it is cleaner burning. It's not a it's not a renewable uh, energy source. Let's be clear, but it is cleaner burning. Um, it's being used to replace coal in in many areas around the world, and that's a good thing. And so that transition, you know, is going to be decades uh, long. Um, and and we're we're sort of seeing that more blatantly than ever how important these fossil fuels are to our way of life and starting to realize i think that you know this stuff's going to be here for a while and in that case absolutely canada should be developing infrastructure and pipelines and projects and encouraging investment in order to be a part of that decades-long transition to a greener 
uh, energy situation. In the short term, I imagine there'll be political pressure on European leaders. Might we see more pressure on on North American leaders as well, given what's going on in Europe? One can't imagine that we're isolated. If it is, in fact, a colder winter than we hope for in Europe, if energy supplies start to run short, uh, I think we're going to feel the impact of that everywhere. Well, that I think is uncertain uh, because North America is extraordinarily fortunate in our energy situation because we have so much. We have lots of oil, we have lots of gas. And so we have not seen our prices move anywhere near uh, up what they have seen in Europe. You know, can you imagine if you got your gas bill next month and your gas bill was $1,000 for the month? Well, that's what we're talking about in Europe, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, That is not going to happen in Canada. and it's not going to happen in the United States because we have lots of our own own supply and we're sort of isolated from the, the world market in that sense. Now, we're not isolated from oil prices, which affect our gasoline prices. And that might be sort of that pinch at the pump, the most in, in your face example for a majority of people of the importance of uh, of, of maintaining a consistent energy supply and fossil fuels uh, to their daily lives. So it will be interesting to see, um, you know, whether larger geopolitical pressures ultimately end up pushing the governments of the United States and Canada to uh, to move quicker and faster from the direction they've currently been. I don't know, uh, but I do certainly hope so, because as I say, I think the reality of the transition to the green future that our governments uh, have been pursuing for a while now is that it's going to take decades. It's not going to take years. And we need a coherent and realistic plan for those decades to come. Adam Packrats, thank you so much. My pleasure, Ben. Thank you.